Um, Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. This Sunday, we are diving into Luke 13, which Farron just read for us, where Jesus throws up his hands in frustration as he leaves Jerusalem. And I know that many have similar feelings about church, often, especially in our denominational squabbles. This week serves as an excellent reminder about control and the simple fact that control is an illusion. And that's okay. We blame ourselves when things don't happen in the right way, even when we barely have control over most outcomes in the first place, don't we? We love control, or maybe the feeling of control. One way this addiction to feeling in control plays out is how we find all of the pithy, quick ways to deal with suffering and grief with the depth of a Hallmark greeting card, or awkwardly throw jokes at other people's suffering, trying to get beyond that difficult moment. We say useless things like, heaven has another angel when a child dies. Emily McDowell noted about unfortunate greeting cards in one of Kate Bowler's podcasts recently, how it's so weird to get a get well soon card when you know you might not actually get well. What if we could be more honest about how little control we have when suffering and grief are present? 
I'm wondering if one of the most valuable things to consider about this passage is how maybe it gives us permission to admit that all we can do sometimes is just throw up our hands and just let it, whatever it is, go. Jesus said, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. He then left the place where the Pharisees warned him about Herod's intent rather than try to undo Herod's threat of killing him. Jesus knew this well. As humans, we are uncomfortable with chaos, with pain, and when things go not the way we want. This world feels so out of control right now with the pandemic not ending, with the war in Ukraine, with the goings-on in each and every one of our lives. We do what we can actually do and accept what we cannot do and know that this is not only good enough, but the only thing we can do, and we are never alone. That is the gospel message. We are never alone. Jesus was angry in today's scripture that the people would not allow themselves to be protected, that they had to be in control. We have to be in control. We have to have all the information. We have to know every detail. The analogy of a mother hen in today's passage is telling. Episcopal priest and author Barbara Brown Taylor describes it this way. The mother hen has no fangs, no claws, no rippling muscles. All she has is her willingness to shield her babies with her own body. If the fox wants them, it's going to have to kill her first. If you have ever loved someone that you could not protect, then you understand the depth of Jesus' lament. All you can do is open your arms. You cannot make anyone walk into them. You have no control. Meanwhile, Jesus models for us the most vulnerable posture in the world wings spread, breasts exposed. If you mean what you say, then this is how you stand. Given the numbers available, numbers of types of animals that are available in the world, it is curious that Jesus chooses a hen. Where is the biblical precedence for that? What about the mighty eagle of Exodus? Or Hosea's stealthy leopard? What about the proud lion of Judah mowing down his enemies with a roar? Compared to any of those, a mother hen does not inspire much confidence. But a hen is what Jesus chooses, which if you think about it is pretty typical of him. He always is turning things upside down so that children and peasants are on top and kings and scholars wind up at the bottom. He's always wrecking our expectations about how things should turn out by giving prizes to the losers and paying the last first. So of course he chooses a chicken. 
which is about as far from a fox as you can get. That way the options become very clear. You can live by licking your chops, seeking total control, or you can die protecting the chicks, recognizing the power and the glory and the hope of eternal life. Our Lenten worship series lifts up that our human propensity for control is perhaps one of the most frustrating aspects of our human brains. What we desire, our longing for particular outcomes, can often keep us driven to exhaustion and distraction. Yes, so much of life's circumstances are out of our control. Jesus knows he can only bring the message and is called to do so even in the face of danger not make the people accept it, much to his frustration. If you read Kate Buller's other book, which is called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, you know that we try all kinds of theological backflips to reason our way out of the discomfort we feel about suffering. If we can't control things, then surely God is in control of every little thing we think. And yet the logic doesn't hold alongside a theology of a compassionate, graceful God. The psycho-spiritual fallout from such do good equals good things happen, that kind of control thinking deems some people's failures simply by virtue of the tragedies that happen to them. Instead, can we adjust our understanding of divine presence as a dance partner who is there improvising alongside no matter where the dance takes us? Because it takes us to some dark places. And to have that dance partner alongside with arms open wide is a comfort indeed. In one of our devotionals this week, you'll read Kate Buller's words about the disciples' confusion about who Jesus has turned out to be. She writes, we had hoped he was the one. How often in our own lives do we have a picture of who we want God to be, the way we expect God to act, the miracles we want God to perform, the storms we've asked God to calm, we had hoped God was the one who would eradicate the pandemic. We had hoped God was the one who would reverse dementia, shrink the tumor, save the marriage, erase the mental illness, give us a baby. We had hoped God was the one who wouldn't lead us into storms, but instead this, is our God, the one who calls us to love the stranger and the foreigner and the enemy, the one who leads us into chaos, the one who cures some but not all. Jesus is the one who dies and is resurrected, and the one whose presence remains but whose absence is always before us in this broken world. We marvel at the God who loves us and stays by our side regardless of how little we understand or how often we wonder if our Savior is asleep 
as he was in the back of the boat that day as the disciples braved the storm. Kate Bowler reminds us that you feel hurt because it's painful. You feel sad because it's tragic. You feel angry because it is unfair. You are okay to feel what you feel. We need freedom to acknowledge the brutality of life without minimizing or pretending or justifying. The life I want is predictable, controllable, and fundamentally fair, but instead I see that reality is infused by war and violence, illness and hurricanes. Some of us come to religion expecting a panacea, a perfect life, a cure when we pray, right outcomes when we live right lives. But life is complicated and hard and unfair. One of our devotionals will tell us this week that experience tells us prayer isn't a secret remote control we can use to zap reality to our liking. Sometimes we pray and nothing changes. Sometimes prayers lead to miracles. But there is a theodicy issue about the persistence of evil in the world at stake in the question of prayer. The true effect of prayer is to bring us closer to God, God who is always there, even when we are completely alone, sad, lonely. Love is loving us in those moments. Here are more of Kate Bowler's words. She says, we are praying to the God whose very sweetness has broken through to us. So when this God moves to put our prayers into effect, they work powerfully. But we don't make them so. So what are we doing when we pray? Somehow we are touching a reality beyond the senses. Did you know that it isn't your eyes that see, it's your brain? She says she read a fascinating article in the New Yorker by Nicola Twilley called Seeing with Your Tongue. A person experiencing blindness could learn to see with a device called a brain port. The sense of touch takes the place of the optic nerve, transporting those images to the brain. And somehow perception is translated. Kay Bowler says she can't help but think that prayer works something like this. In prayer, we are brought into the presence of God, whose eternal reality translates for us. We sense that we were created because we are loved. Just that. We are not a means, but an end. And we are more whole, more alive, with a wellness that we didn't create through some transactional effort on our part. When we pray, we begin to understand that God's presence in the midst of our difficulties and can live with joy for the life that has been given to us, even in spite of the terrible things. A contestant named Nightbird from America's Got Talent had cancer, but decided that the cancer did not own her. And although the cancer cost her her life, the life she did live was filled with happiness. 
The question of why bad things happen to good people is not a new one. Theologians, pastors, and people think about it every day. Peter Marty wrote an article in Christian Century that ends with these words. To many Christians, questioning the almightiness of God is certain heresy. Questioning God? But God's almightiness is spoken of only ten times in the New Testament, nine of which are in the book of Revelation. All ten have to do with God's ultimate triumph in history. At the end of history, God will prevail in the struggle. Just as love, justice, peace, and well-being will prevail. In the meantime, God settles for limited power in order to be with us in every struggle. Let me say that again. God settles for limited power in order to be with us through every struggle. God is with us always. We tend to think of God in terms of absolutes. God can do absolutely anything. But we shouldn't forget that God is love. And love involves solidarity with the hurt that others endure. So you see, God is with us. And we are called to be with others who are hurting. Love God, love neighbor. Do you see it? Ian Lynch compares our desire for control through prayer to his experience. He says, last night I attended a soccer game and sang my heart out for 90 minutes in support of the team. Did it change anything? We fans would like to think it does. But in truth, all our shouting has no control over the players, which is especially obvious when we're doing the cheering in our living rooms. So why do we do it? Devotion, loyalty, love, all these things matter even when we don't have control. There are some things over which we do have control. The ways in which we respond to circumstances, especially injustice and oppression. There's a powerful story from Terry Eckelbarger about today's scripture. She says the passage from Luke holds a special meaning in the metropolitan community churches all over the world because some of our siblings have lived the scenario that Jesus is facing here. There are so many stories, like Reverend Jerry Ann Harvey, who was the pastor of the MCC in Houston during a time when gay men were being targeted by police and often killed. In spite of a great deal of fear, she was outspoken and fierce, helping create a gay pride march in 1978. The next day, the KKK started distributing a recorded message calling for the death of every homosexual in Texas. The day after, a cross was burnt on the front lawn of the church. Soon after a phone call asking if she had received the message, the police advised her to close the church and leave town. She didn't. A week later, a call at her house threatening physical assault and her life. She filled the house with what she called tough lesbians. They were waiting 
and the KKK didn't come. The KKK made bomb threats that were in the end only threats. And scary as it all was, the church grew from 16 to 360 brave souls in the two years that she endured. You see, so much was out of her control. But she continued on her journey with what she could do day after day after day. It still happens to MCCs in other countries who also keep doing what must be done in order to love as God loves. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To love in spite of being hated, just as Jesus did. Brene Brown shares in her book, Braving the Wilderness, about a French father who publishes an open letter to the people who killed his wife in a terrorist attack. He says, on Friday night, you stole the life of an exceptional being, the love of my life, the mother of my son, but you will not have my hate. Many of the characters in the book, Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, who also wrote The Fault in Our Stars, those characters can't help. They can't really change the predicament of the main character. They can only watch her suffer. And then her mom says, well, there's no need to suffer. To which Aza, the main character, says, that was a fundamental misunderstanding of the human predicament. The movie The Princess Bride even addresses this where Wesley says, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. In John Green's episode on Kate Bowler's podcast describing his book, The Turtles, I'll tell you what I find helpful and what I hope is in the book. He says, I find it helpful when people love me. I find it helpful when people reassure me. I know that sometimes it's difficult to reassure people without lying to them. That place is where you can reassure someone, but not reassure them by saying something like, it's going to be okay. Don't do that. Reassure someone that I am here. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you in this. That is the gospel message. God is with you. And that is our call. To be one, to be with one another in our suffering, even when things are out of control. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.